friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. God's Word, may I invite you to please rise uh, from your seats, please. And let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We have received so much love from you. And Lord, every day we just continue to experience that. And Lord, we trust that today will be no different. Above all, we pray that you might show love your people as we navigate through your word. We pray, O oh Lord, that the blessing of the Holy Spirit will be upon us to give us understanding, but not only understanding, Lord, but to touch our hearts. And let this increase our faith, allow us to be encouraged, allow us to be fired up, Lord, as we navigate through your word. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us. I pray for myself, Lord, you know my limitations. So I depend totally on the Holy Spirit to equip me, to give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that your people might understand your word. Whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's be seated in the presence of the Lord, please. We're now in chapter 4. So we're going to take a look at verses 1 to 17. And the title of this morning's sermon is, God is not surprised. Well, obviously, some of us do get surprised, most especially when bad things happen to us. We are caught by surprise. And I'd like to say that sometimes the reason why bad things happen to us is because of a certain disobedience in our lives. And because we are disobedient at times when we are not at the center of God's will, we suffer the consequences of disobedience. And hopefully that is not true in our case. But that was actually the case uh, with the nation of Israel as we have been talking about this for the past few months. They were still in the Medo-Persian kingdom. They still remained on after the Babylonian captivity when they were supposed to go to the land flowing with milk and honey, the, the land of Israel. But they refused to do so because right now the Medo-Persian kingdom had become their comfort zone. It had become their comfort zone. Many of their businesses had prospered in that place. They were doing quite well. And so they did not want to uproot their families and go back once again to a land which was just devastated by the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian Empire. Why start life all over again? Why raise your family in a place which was totally devastated? So they knew it was really a big jump. It was a big step of faith for them to leave the Medo-Persian Empire and then go to the land of Canaan and actually build their lives again. And so they did not want that to happen. And 
you know, I think we can relate to that. There are times when we are in our own comfort zones. We're quite comfortable where we are. And so we don't want to make that jump. We don't want to make that step of faith. But you see, if you and I fail to obey God, if we do not walk according to His will, we will suffer consequences. And that's the reason why we're studying this book because we want to avoid falling into pit traps. We want to avoid falling by the wayside because, again, we want to be obedient to the will of the Lord. Now, as a review, we saw that in chapter 3, the consequence of their disobedience was an, an evil plan, a devious plan by Haman to actually exterminate and annihilate the entire Jewish race. Now, again, this would not have happened if only they chose to go back to the land of Israel. Why? Because Mordecai would not be there in the Medo-Persian Empire. He would not be offending uh, Haman. And Esther would not be, be there. The Jewish exiles would not be there. So there would be no offense and there would be no threat to their lives. So again, this was really their own fault. This was really a suffering that was brought about by their disobedience. And so let's just review what we read uh, last week. Let's take a look at chapter 3 and verses 13 to 15. And it goes, Letters were sent by the couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day. The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in every province was published to all the people so that they should be ready for this day. The couriers went out impelled by the king's command while the decree was issued at the citadel in Susa and while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. So this was what we read and studied last time around. The whole Jewish race right now was under threat. And again, allow me to remind you what was under threat here was not simply the existence and the survival of an entire nation. But actually, what was also at risk was our own salvation. That is why we need to be thankful to God for heroes and heroines like Esther and Mordecai because somehow they allow themselves to be used by God as instruments of blessing and therefore salvation has come to us. Now to be sure, there is a kind of suffering that is not as a result of disobedience. And I would like to be able to say that when sufferings of that sort happen, it is because God wants to fulfill higher purposes in our lives. But whatever the case might be, whether our suffering is, a, is as a result of disobedience or it is merely a trial permitted by God, let us remember, God is never surprised. Could you say to your neighbor, God is never surprised? Say it louder, please. God knows everything. 
from beginning all the way to the end. And he is proactively, providentially working on our behalf to secure our deliverance as well as our protection. You know, as I reflect on this particular thought that there are times and seasons when you and I do suffer not as a result of disobedience, I'm reminded of the story of Bob Coughlin. I just read this article from Desiring God, and some of you, of course, know his story. He wrote it down in his book, uh, Worship Matters, and he likewise shared that here uh, when we were still downstairs when he conducted a worship conference, and he shared about his experience. He had a nervous breakdown, and it was something that was totally unexpected on his part because ministry was actually very good to him. He was having several invitations. He had many opportunities to speak. His influence was actually spreading across America and even other parts of the world. He was a sought-after speaker. He was a great composer. And so he had invitations left and right. But you know what? He could not understand the fact that he was having panic attacks could not understand why he was so depressed when he should have been happy with all the good things that were happening in his ministry he should have been happy but the opposite was actually taking place and he was beginning to think could it be possible that I am becoming crazy and so what he did was he had himself checked up by the doctors just to find out if there was something wrong physiologically with him and it came out that everything was fine. His heart was fine. His blood works were fine. Everything was fine. And so he was wondering, why is this happening? And what was actually condemning him was the fact that he was a pastor. And he was saying, this kind of a thing doesn't happen to pastors. This kind of a thing doesn't happen to those who are working for God. So he was deeply bothered. In fact, he was sharing this story last time around when he was here that sometimes he, he would fall into the floor and he would be in a fetal position and he would be cringing in fear and in panic and he did not know what was really happening. So one time he approached uh, one of his friends and he told him about his situation and his friend said, well, it's because you're not hopeless enough and he was probably wondering what do you mean I'm not hopeless enough and I think the message of God to him really was this that he was still depending on his own strength that he was still depending on his own resources and on his own intelligence and this is the reason why he was in deep trouble God wanted total and absolute dependence on him and that was not what was happening in his life. So to make a long story short, because of these realizations, he began to deeply root himself in the Lord. He began to totally and absolutely depend on the Lord. And healing finally came along his way. He was delivered by God from those panic attacks. And right now, God is using him in a far mightier way than he was being used at that time. 
It's amazing that at times there are certain things that happen to us and we don't understand why these things happen. Again, let me remind you, God has a higher purpose. And more importantly, we need to understand God is not surprised. He is working providentially and proactively on our behalf. So what we simply need to do is rest in the Lord, trust in Him, believe in Him, and, and trust in His sovereignty that He is doing what is good for us. We may not see it straight away. We might not see it today, but we will definitely see the effects and the good results tomorrow. So while Satan has a plan to destroy us, God always has a plan to rescue us. And sometimes God's instruments of deliverance can be very ordinary people. People like Esther. People like Mordecai. And you know what? You might be the Esther and the Mordecai of this time. You might be the heroes and the heroines that God wants to use for this particular time. God raised us up in this place and in this time for a purpose and for a reason. I think that it is about time that we reflect that God might have a place for us. And so we must not miss our divine appointments. Could you please tell your neighbor, don't miss your divine appointment. Remember this, we are all called to fulfill our destiny. You have a destiny. I have a destiny. The big question I need to ask you is, do you know your destiny? Do you know where God is taking you? Do you know where God is bringing you? Because He is, in fact, bringing you somewhere. But you see, some of us are so blinded, some of us are so deaf, that we are unable to discern the times, we are unable to discern the destiny, the calling, and the higher purpose of God for our lives. And that is why we have a lot of missed opportunities in our lives. Now, we don't want that to happen. We don't want to miss our opportunities. We want to be able to, to gather those opportunities and use them for the glory of God. Now today, uh, the story will revolve around two things. Actually, very simple. And let me just show this to you. It revolves around, first of all, the tripartite mourning of the Jews. Mordecai, Israel, and Esther herself. And then we find here the hatched plan of deliverance, which was hatched, obviously, by Mordecai. But we will get more into that. But let's take a look at the tripartite mourning of the Jews as a result of the decree to exterminate and annihilate the entire Jewish race. Obviously, people were mourning. The Jews were mourning. And more than anybody else, of course, Mordecai was mourning. And you know why he was mourning? Because he was the main reason for this persecution. Because he did not bow down before Haman. And again, we said that his not bowing down to Haman was not because he was prideful. It was a matter of conviction. He was not going to pay homage. He was not going to worship any man. He was not going to kowtow to any man. His fear was the fear of God and not the fear of man. 
But then again, there were consequences. Maybe it, if it was just Mordecai whose life was under threat, he would not be mourning in this way. But what he was mourning about was that this involved the entire Jewish race. And friends, let me just tell you this. Some of us, we underestimate the understanding of the Old Testament saints. We think they do not really understand what was forthcoming. But let me tell you that Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right at the very beginning, had the promise of a seed, the promise of a Messiah that would come and restore back the world to its former order. And so in other words, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the plan of salvation was already there. And if we are to safely assume that the Old Testament saints understood this, Mordecai knew what was really at stake here. What was at stake here was not merely the national survival of Israel, but what was at stake here was the salvation of mankind. That is why there was deep mourning on his part. And if we were in his place, we should actually be mourning, shouldn't we? So let's take a look at what happens here in verses 1 and 2. And here's what it says. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. So we see here all the expressions of extreme mourning, which tells us of the severity and the gravity of the situation. So four things we see here. Number one, he tore his clothes, which was actually an expression of mourning at that time. Then he wore what? sackcloth and ashes again that was the custom of the day when you were mourning third he went out into the midst of the city in other words he was making his mourning public so he was not mourning privately in his own room he, he came out and he really wanted his mourning to have a public display he wanted to display publicly his mourning obviously he wanted some things to happen most especially, he probably wanted to catch the attention of Esther, who could possibly help them in this situation. But notice, he only went as far as the king's gate. Now, you might wonder why. Well, from the Matthew uh, Henry commentary, this is what it says. Nothing but what was gay or happy and pleasant must appear at court, at the king's court. And everything that was sad, or melancholy must be banished thence, all in king's palaces wear soft clothing. In other words, you cannot mourn, you cannot have a sad face, you cannot weep before the presence of the king. Notice how this caused fear in the case of Nehemiah. Remember, he was the cupbearer of the king, and then the king noticed that he had a sad face. And what did that bring about? It brought fear in the heart of Nehemiah because you could actually lose your life, all right, by merely having a sad face in the presence of the king. You're supposed to be smiling all the time. You're supposed to be happy all the time, all right? So this is the reason why he could only approach near the king's gate but not inside of it. 
Then we are told here that he wailed loudly and bitterly. But he was not alone in his mourning. The Jews were likewise mourning because they heard about the decree. So take a look at verse 3 at this time. It says, in, in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. So notice here similarities between the mourning of Mordecai and the mourning of the Jews. And notice the extent of the mourning. It says here that the mourning took place in each and every province. In other words, this was really widespread all over the Medo-Persian kingdom. And just try to imagine how, how this looked like at that time. When the neighbors started to see the Jews, they were crying, they were mourning, they were wearing sackcloth. People were observing all of these things taking place. By the way, that's the reason why the, the entire Medo-Persian empire was in confusion. Why? Because they were probably thinking, who's next? If the Jews are going to be annihilated right now, is it possible, will we be the next ones? So obviously this caused fear and panic among those who were living in that kingdom. Now take a look at what at the depth of their mourning. The Bible says it was great. They were fasting. They were not eating. They were weeping. But not only were they weeping, they wailed loudly and bitterly. So again, it was creating a hysterical atmosphere all over the Medo-Persian empire and then it says they wore sackcloth and ashes. Again, what was happening here? God was dealing with their souls. Why was God dealing with their souls? Because they failed to obey God's will to return back to the promised land. This is the reason why they were suffering. There were consequences for disobeying the will of God. Now, obviously, you and I do not want that to happen in our case. If we're going to suffer, let it be that we are suffering as a matter of God's trial or God's testing on us to sanctify and purify us. But let it not be that we are suffering as a result of our own disobedience. Let it not be that we are suffering as a result of our own compromises. Let it not be that our suffering is the cause of not being in the center of God's will. Friends, let me tell you this. Sin will eventually catch up on us. Now, if you're saying, well, I, I still have not suffered the consequences of my sin. Well, let me tell you this. God is patient. And what does the book of Romans say? The book of Romans says that the kindness of God should lead us to repentance. So if there has been a reprieve of some sort in your life and you're not suffering certain consequences, please understand that God is being patient with you. And what is he trying to accomplish? He's trying to win you with his kindness. He's trying to win you with his embrace. He is trying to win you with his love. That is what he is trying to do. But friends, if his, if, if his kind, compassionate love doesn't win your heart, well then he has to exercise tough love in your life. That's what he needs to do. 
He needs to exercise tough love in your life. And you do not want to fall into the hands of the living God because as the Bible says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We do not want to land in a place wherein we are suffering the consequences of our disobedience. And sometimes for some people, it might even be too late. For some people, it might be a case of of God actually chastising you and, and, and punishing you. And the problem is when you have jumped over the cliff, you can no longer unjump. That's the problem there. And so hopefully we're not in that situation. Hopefully we're not suffering as a result of sin in our lives. So what do we need to do? Well, it's very simple. All we need to do is come before God in repentance. And let me tell you this, there's immediate restoration. There is immediate restoration. That's the promise of 1 John. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So no worries on that part. God can immediately restore us as soon as we repent. But we need to repent. Right? We need to come to repentance. Now, not only was Mordecai affected, not only were the Jews affected, but even the queen herself was affected. Now, remember, the queen at that time was actually isolated from, from public life. It's not like what happens right now uh, in England, wherein the queen is very prominent. She's seen everywhere and she actively participates in the affairs, the social affairs of the nation. That was not like how it was at that time. The queen was actually secluded. She lived a very private life. And obviously, she did not yet learn what was going to happen to her people. But that's the reason why Mordecai had to come near the king's gate and, and make a public display to catch the attention of Esther. And so he succeeded, actually. Take a look at verse 4. It says, Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. Now, what does it mean that the queen writhed in great anguish? Writhing means twisting or making squirming movements or contortions of the body. It's even possible that she was laying down on the floor. She was in real anguish. It was a kind of mental and emotional pain that she was almost feeling in her body. That was the kind of torment that she was experiencing at that time. So much was actually at stake here. And again, if we give credit to the Jews that they understood the promise of God in Genesis 3.15 of the seed and the Messiah coming, obviously this brought great fear in their hearts because this would mean the seed will not come, the Messiah would not come, salvation would not come, the Savior would not come. They knew what was at stake here and that is why they were mourning. So we go to the second part, which speaks about the hatch plan of deliverance of the Jews. But first of all, let's take a look at Esther and Mordecai's response as we take a look at the latter part of verse 4 all the way to verse 6, please. 
It says, And she, referring to the queen, sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him. But he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hattak from the king's eunuchs whom the king had appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Now Hattak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. So what had happened here was, first of all, the initial response of Queen Esther was to send clothes so that he could replace or Mordecai could replace his sackcloth and so he could change, he could have new clothes. Now, that was not going to alleviate the pain of Mordecai. And so he was not going to receive those clothes. Now, probably in the mind of Esther as well, he was trying to protect Mordecai because if this came to the attention of the king, it is quite possible that even at that early time, Mordecai would have lost his life. So really, what Esther was really trying to do was to protect Mordecai. But Mordecai was saying, you know what, Esther, I don't need your protection right now. I don't need these clothes. This is much bigger than us. This is much bigger than me. What is under threat is our entire nation. You need to understand, Esther, what is at stake here. Don't give me clothes. That's not going to help. That's not going to help this situation. Mordecai, therefore, comes before Esther with this kind of a mindset. And so what happens is that Esther now inquires from Mordecai about the severity of the problem. And so we find Mordecai's report and request in verses 7 all the way to verse 9. And here's the story. It says, Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Do you remember how much? $10 million to annihilate this entire Jewish race. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction. That he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go to the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Hattak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. So what Mordecai did actually here was to give exact, accurate, and complete details of this decree. And not only that, he gave out a copy of this edict so that nothing would be missed out. So again, the proposal of Mordecai was that he should implore the king because that was the only hope. Nobody else could save them. Remember who Haman was. Haman was the prime minister of the Medo-Persian Empire. He was the second most powerful person in the kingdom. So who else could help them? But the first and the most powerful person. And who, ha who happens to be the first and most powerful person? Well, that's the king himself. And so this is the reason why the urgency of the situation was being um, made clear to Esther by Mordecai. He was making an appeal to the king to stop this annihilation plot through Esther. Now, what was Esther's initial 
hesitation. Let's take a look at verses 10 and 11, please. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hattak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. I have not been summoned before the king for these 30 days. So what was the reason for the hesitation? The reason for the hesitation was the seemingly cooled affections of the king. He had not called for the queen for 30 long days. And probably in the mind of Esther, why is that so? Is he no longer in love with me? Has he become cold towards me? What are the reasons for this? Am I no longer as beautiful as, as he saw me before? Maybe something's wrong. And so she was really hesitant at that time because, again, she could lose her life. Remember, the standing rule in approaching the king is you cannot do that. You cannot approach the king unless you make a prior appointment. All right? So no appointment and appearance before the king equals death. Now that was too much of a risk in so far as Esther was concerned. She obviously wanted to survive. Now just a, a quote from the Bible knowledge commentary. It says, The king had the power to execute anyone who, dis who disturbed him without an appointment. So this was the thing that was scaring her. The only exemption is if the king holds out his golden scepter. Now as we think about this, think about your destiny. Think about God's calling for your life. The first step actually that you need to be able to do is first of all find out, Lord, what is my destiny? What is my calling in life? What have you appointed me to do? And friends, we have verses of Scripture that prove that each and every person actually has a divine appointment and a higher purpose and a higher calling. Where do we find that? In Psalm 139, it says that even before the days, okay, even before we accomplish the days in our lives, it has already been written down in God's book already. So what do you call that? You call that destiny. What do you call that? You call that calling. And then we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10, that as we are saved by grace, God has prepared beforehand. How, 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 how far beforehand? Well, even before the foundations of the world. Can you imagine? God has prepared beforehand the good works that you're supposed to walk into. It's already there. So what do you call that once again? You call that destiny. You call that calling. You call that divine appointment. And then Peter speaks about each and every person 
having a gift. Each and every believer having a gift. And the Bible says we are supposed to employ that gift as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Why else would God give you a gift? Why else would, would God give you things that could be a blessing to other people? There's a reason for that. God did not only save us so that we could sit down, relax, enjoy our lives, and then at the end of our days go to heaven. No, friends, we're not created by God. We were not saved by God to be lazy. God did not save us to become complacent. God did not save us so that we could just sit down and relax and do nothing until God's kingdom comes, until the gates of heaven are open before us. You're supposed to fulfill something in your life, and you have the responsibility to determine what that is. Now, some of us would think, well, you know, my, my mind is clouded with a lot of mysteries. How can I possibly know the will of God? Well, friends... If God wants you to follow his will, let me ask you a question. Will he make it clear to you? Yes or no? I need to hear a louder answer. Yes or no? Yes! If he wants you to follow his will, if he wants you to be at the center of his will, if he wants you to do his will, will he not make it clear to you? He will make it clear to you. And that is why, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is discernment. Our responsibility is to find out, Lord, what is it that you want with my life? Friends, that is how important it is for us to find out the will of God. So if you're merely sitting down and you're wondering, why, why this spiritual dryness in my life? Why do I feel hollow and empty? Why, why do I feel discontent with my life? Well, friends, may I submit to you that it is possible that it's because you're not following the will of God. You're still, figuratively speaking, in the Medo-Persian kingdom. You're still in your Babylon. And you're not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to be in the Medo-Persian Empire. You're not supposed to be in Babylon. You're supposed to be in the land of Canaan. You're supposed to be in the land of promise. That's where God wants you to be. And somehow God is shaking your world because he wants you to realize that's not where he wants you to be. He wants you to move to your land of Canaan. That's the place of rest. You can never enter the rest of God unless, first of all, you determine in your heart to follow him and follow his will. That is what God wants. Don't miss your divine appointments, brothers and sisters. Don't miss your calling in life. Don't miss those opportunities that God has laid out before you because they are many. Every single day, in fact, affords us opportunities to be able to glorify God. The Bible says, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. You've missed the point of your life if you're simply securing the future of your family. You're missing the point of your life if you're simply trying to gain profit in your business. 
You're missing the point of your life if you're just going through your work and, and you know, working things out under your employment. You're missing the point. You see, the center of gravity is not us. The center of gravity is God. He is the center of gravity. Unfortunately, most of us think that the center of gravity is us. No, we're not the center of gravity. We're, we're undeserving sinners. And God in His grace, God in His goodness has saved us. He has done that which was really not His duty or us, nor His obligation by dying on the cross, taking our place, forgiving us of our sins, past, present, and future, and raising us up together with Him so that we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. God has done more than we can ever ask from Him. And should we be ingrates? Should we be people who just simply shrug at the fact that we're saved and our names are written in the book of life, but we don't really care? Our lives are characterized by whatever. Whatever happens, it's kesera, sera. Whatever must be, will be. And I hope that's, that's not the kind of life you're living. You know, that kind of a life is hollow. That kind of a life is empty. That kind, that, that kind of a life is not satisfying at all. And God wants to satisfy our souls. God wants to fill those dry wells in our hearts. He wants to fill it up to overflowing. So that in the overflow of joy, in the overflow of peace, in the overflow of God's happiness, we are able to pour it out into other people's lives. We become a tremendous blessing to them. So please don't miss out on your divine appointments, whatever your hesitation might be. You see, Esther was hesitating because she was afraid for her life. Now what is it, what is it that scares you? What is it that scares you from fulfilling the will of God? Is it losing a job? Is it losing a business deal? Is it losing a relationship? What is it that scares you? What is it that scares you? Are you afraid to, to get out of your comfort zone? Are you afraid to lose the convenience of your life? What is it that, that you're afraid of? You know what? We're safe in the loving hands of our Father. Amen? We're always safe in the loving hands of the Father. Rather, what we should be scared of is the consequences of our disobedience. Let your life be a blessing, brothers and sisters. Matthew says that we're supposed to be salt and light in this world. And what does that mean? It means that we become a pervading positive influence in our society. And the big question is, is that happening with our lives? What are we doing with our lives? We need to be able to answer those questions. So let's take a look at Mordecai's urgent appeal then his warning, and then his trust in God's sovereignty. Take a look at verses 13 and 14, please. It says, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine 
that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, who knows whether you have not attained to royalty for such a time as this. So first of all, we find the warning. What was the warning? Mordecai was in effect saying to Esther, have you forgotten your national identity? Have you forgotten that you yourself are a Jew? And note that this decree tells us that every Jew shall be annihilated. Just because you're in a palace, just because you're in your nice, comfortable room, doesn't mean your life is not under threat. Your life is also under threat. It's only a matter of time before they will discover that you, in fact, are a Jew. And friends, let me tell you this, by the way. The decrees of the Medo-Persian kings could not be amended. They could not be amended. They could not be set aside. They could not be vetoed, so to speak. So it stands as a permanent decree. So it was only a matter of time. If, if Esther got to save her life at that particular juncture, it was only a matter of time she would lose it as well, just like all the other Jews. So that was the warning. So what was the appeal? The appeal was intervene on behalf of the Jews. Mordecai was saying, Esther, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than you, Esther. Think, think, think about this deeply. Don't just think about yourself. Don't think about your comfortable position. Don't think about the riches, the treasures that you have. Don't think about your favored position. Think about bigger things. Think about our entire nation. And which reminds me, by the way, Sometimes the problem with the Filipino people is that we're only thinking about ourselves and our family. Let me remind you of a survey that was done by University of the Philippines several years back. And according to that survey, for us Filipinos, our number one priority is our own family. Now that's not bad. But also... Take a look at the fact that in that survey, it was also found out that love for nation is number seven. You go to Korea, love for a country is number one. Philippines, love for a country, number seven. So who do we love? Ourselves. And you know what? What Mordecai was saying? Mordecai was saying to Esther, Esther, just don't think about yourself. Think about the good and the welfare that you can actually do for your entire nation. Think about how you can be a blessing by intervening on behalf of the Jews. You could save the entire nation. And guess what, Esther? Don't forget the promise of the seed. Don't forget the promise of the Messiah. Don't forget the promise of salvation. Don't forget the promise of restoration in this world order that is in pure chaos. This is bigger than you, Esther. Don't, don't have a tunnel vision. Don't be myopic. Enlarge your vision. Enlarge your heart, Esther. This is what you need to do. And maybe that's what we need to do in our, our days and our times. 
Just stop thinking about just ourselves and our own families. See, the battle is, is much bigger than our own backyard, than our, than our own territory. There's a nation. There's a nation out there that we're fighting for. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the solution to our country is first of all spiritual. The solution first of all to our country is not political. It is the gospel. And sometimes we've missed out on that. I mean, we're continually changing our officials. We're continually clamoring for changes. Let me tell you this. Change will not come until the human heart is changed. The reason why people are like that, the reason why there's so much corruption, is because that's the sinful nature. That's the human heart. The human heart is selfish. The human heart is corrupt. The human heart is immoral. The human heart doesn't think of the welfare of other people. The human heart thinks only for self-betterment. That's how this world operates. So you want to change this world? You want to change this nation? The only way you and I can change this nation is by being more proactive in sharing the gospel. But you know what the problem is? We've shut up our mouths. We've not been sharing the gospel as we should. We've not been more vocal about our faith. And many of us are ashamed of the gospel. Let's follow the path of Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Change the heart, change the world. That's how it is. And so that's what, what Mordecai was appealing to Esther. And here's, here's what Mordecai was saying. You know what? Deliverance can arise anywhere, Esther. You are not indispensable. Can I say this to you as well? You are not indispensable. Don't think that the world revolves around you. And that if you stop, the whole world stops with you. No, the world will not stop when you stop. But here's what's going to happen. You miss the opportunity to become a blessing. You miss your divine appointment. Because regardless of, of whether you cooperate with God or not, he's going, he's going to achieve what He wants to achieve. He's going to fulfill what He wants to fulfill. He's going to bring about deliverance when He wants deliverance. He doesn't need you. But what a blessing it is, what a privilege it is that God has chosen us puny, tiny human beings to be partners with Him in working for His glory. Well, what a glorious privilege that is, amen? That God has chosen us to be instruments of blessing when He could afford not to choose us. I mean, when it comes to preaching the gospel, God could just let an angel appear in heaven and let him preach the gospel. Maybe that would be even more effective. But you know what? He's chosen you. And the question is, what have you been doing? Have you been silent all these years? Have, have, have you not fulfilled your destiny? Again, that's the problem. It becomes destiny unfulfilled. Mordecai believed that Esther's attaining to royalty was God's plan for Israel's deliverance. Esther, you know what, what Mordecai was saying? Esther, can't you see this? 
every detail of our lives is really part of the grand plan of God. Everything is really part of God's plan. And look, Esther, do you think you, you became queen by accident? And, and do you think that, that your beauty came by, by accident as well? No, God made you beautiful for a purpose. And he made you beautiful so that you could be a queen. And so that by being a queen, you could deliver the nation of Israel. Because right now, we're in a big mess. Right now, there's a crisis that's going to take over. And our whole nation is going to be annihilated. Esther, wake up. Esther, Esther open your eyes. Because God loved his people and was a keeper of promises, God made Esther queen. Mordecai had a high view of God's sovereignty and providence. Listen up. Where you are right now is where God wants you to be. And where, where you are right now is how God wants to use you and become a blessing to people. Now my big question to you is this. Are you available? Here's another question. Are you willing? Can you answer those two questions? Are you available? And are you willing? Those are two very penetrating questions. And you know what? You could just become uncomfortable as I ask you these questions. But then you can just shrug this off your minds later on and forget all about it. But you know what? God is going to remind you. And God is going to convict you. And God is going to ask you those questions. Are you available? And are you willing? Near the end of your life, you need to go back and survey what has happened. And you need to ask the question, did I do what God wanted me to do? Did I serve His purposes for my generation? Because that's what needs to happen. If there's one thing that cannot be stolen from me, it is my understanding I am fulfilling my destiny. I am a person who is focused on my destiny. I'm a person who is focused on my divine appointment. And you might say, well, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. Really? There are so many pastors who have fallen by the wayside. There are so many pastors who don't know what they're doing. There are some pastors who are merely surviving and who are simply on maintenance mode. Not me. I have chosen to follow my destiny. And follow the path that God has given to me. And you too have a destiny and a path to follow. Be a blessing, dear brothers and sisters. Finally, Esther concurs. And she makes an instruction. Take a look at verse 15, 16, and 17. It says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. Think about this. You're talking about millions of people fasting and praying for three days. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? That's very powerful. To get people to fast and pray, millions of people, 
well, it will radically change the way things will, will happen in a particular nation. So it says, I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And guess what she says? Classic statement. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Esther concurs with the plan but calls on every Jew to fast and pray for her safety and acceptance before the king. Mordecai then proceeds to follow Esther's instructions. Here we find the firm resolve of Esther to be used of God even if it means losing her own life. Let me ask you this question. What do you have to lose if you follow God's will? What do you have to lose if you follow God's will? If you really think about it, not much. For some of us, it's just maybe losing our face if some people reject the gospel. That's not much. A lot of people go through embarrassing things. And you know what? If people embarrass and humiliate you, because you share the gospel to them, well, shame on them. But you know what? Blessings on you. Because you, you bring a smile on the Father's face. Amen? You have, you have a quest to God and, and you give pleasure to His heart. And what, what, is, what is the greatest thing that you can ever have? What is the greatest satisfaction that you and I could ever have? but to be able to fulfill whatever God wants in our lives. You know what? We could be the heroes and the heroines that God wants us to be. You know why Avengers are very pop pop popular? They're very popular because we want heroes. We really want heroes. But you know what? Sometimes we're looking outside of ourselves. And we're saying, Lord, here am I send them right isn't that what we always say here am i lord send them you know what god is saying i want to send you i want to use you i want you to become my instrument of blessing again the question is are you willing let me share to you a little testimony And sometimes sufferings take place, not because of sin in our, in our hearts, but because God has a higher purpose. A few years ago, when we were still worshiping at Audion Theater, I took a sabbatical, close to one year, and I turned my back on the ministry, not knowing if there would still be a place for me when I returned. But I was intent on coming back. One of the reasons why I decided to take a prolonged leave of absence was because I was feeling very dry inside. I really felt in my heart I cannot keep on doing this and, and be a disservice to the people. I wanted to be somebody who really felt what I preached, who was passionate about what I was doing. I did not want to be merely on maintenance mode. I wanted to be what I was 
from the pulpit. And, and so I decided to take a sabbatical. But there was another reason. Many people did not know that I was going through the same thing that Bob Coughlin was going through. For seven years, I was having panic attacks. For seven years, I would be, I would be in a car. I would be holding the steering wheel. And fear would just take over my heart. And I did not even know what I was afraid of. I mean, it's good to know what you're afraid of. I didn't know what I was afraid of. I, don't know, I did not have a rational reason for my fears. And yet, I knew that God had called me into ministry and that I still had to do what I needed to do for the sake of His people because given a choice by myself, I would have probably resigned at that time and probably you know, taken a longer leave of absence. But I chose to be where I was because I knew God had a divine appointment for me. But you see, it was for seven long years. Can you imagine seven years of having panic attacks? I was having palpitations so loud that when I lied on my left or on my right, I could actually hear my heart beat. And I could not do anything about it. Honestly, I thought I was going crazy. I thank God for my wife who was very patient and very encouraging to me at that time because I did not know what was happening to me. So, after seven years, I said, Lord, this has got to stop. So I went up one of the mountains in, in Busai, one of the hills in Busai, and I was in fasting and in prayer. And I said, Lord, you've got to speak to me, Lord. You've got to tell me what it is that is wrong with me. And God spoke to me from the book of Corinthians, that part where Paul talked about this thorn in the flesh. And God was telling me, this is what it is, son. I'm giving you a thorn in the flesh. And the reason why I'm giving you a thorn in the flesh is to keep you from exalting yourself and so that you might humble yourself before me, so that you might depend on me and trust me at all times. So I said, Lord, if this is what you want, then Father, I just receive this thorn in the flesh. And Lord, let it be, let it be, Lord, as you want it to be. But then again, I... I, I was intent, regardless of my situation. You know, in those seven years, I was telling myself, I forgot what happiness was all about. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation wherein you don't even know or you can't even remember what happiness looks like. And it's not the fault of anyone it was just something that was there inside. Seven years, no happiness whatsoever. But one thing that God put in my heart was to keep my divine appointment. And by the grace of God, thank God, I'm over that. God has healed me. God has given me grace. And I continue 
to fulfill. I continue to fulfill my divine appointment. So what's your excuse? Is your excuse like, like my situation? Are you having panic attacks? Are you having a nervous meltdown? Are you going through something so depressing that you don't even know what happiness looks like anymore? I could have had those excuses. I could have left the ministry, but I did not. I fulfilled my destiny and I continue to do so and I've kept my divine appointment. Well, everything was pure chaos on the part of Mordecai, Esther, and the Jews, heaven was perfectly calm and perfectly still. God is never taken by surprise. God will always achieve his purposes of deliverance, of discipline, and destiny. Let me ask you this question. Would you like to be a part of God's plan? Hesitating? Let me, ask you, let, let me ask you again. Would you like to be a part of God's plan? Amen. Praise the Lord. Give yourselves a hand. Hopefully, just like Esther, we should be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice to fulfill God's purpose. Remember this. You are not the center of gravity. God is. Amen. He's the center of gravity. Give the Lord a big hand, please. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful day, wonderful time to just glorify and honor you. And we thank you for the book of Esther. So many insights, so many thoughts. Very inspiring, very encouraging, but likewise very challenging. May we have the mindset of Esther who said, if I perish... I perish. May we learn how to die to ourselves and live for God. May we lose our lives in you that we may gain your life, which is so much better, O oh Lord. So we give you thanks, O oh God, for this morning. We pray that something has happened in the hearts of your people. We pray that your goodness and grace overflows upon each and every person. And we thank you for today. We thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory, praises, and thanks. In your name we pray and God's people said, Amen. Amen.